Hey, this is Brent Jensen. You're listening to No Sleep Till Sudbury, the show where we talk about the music that makes your skin vibrate. All right, last week was part one of my chat with TV personality, writer, entrepreneur, and all-around superwoman, Erica M. And because our chat went long, it was divided into two parts. This week is part two of our discussion. So let's take up right before where we left off last week, talking about Erica's new podcast. Here we go. Actually, I'm working on a podcast Oh, that um, it's going to launch in the next couple of months, probably. Mm-hmm. It's called Reinvention of the VJ. Oh. It's essentially me interviewing all the on-air people from Much Music. I like that. About who they were before, what life was like during, mm. and then how they reinvented from their time at Much. Oh, wow. What they did, how their skills at Much Music helped them, how their you know, the sort of trail of much music notoriety may have negatively affected Mm -hmm. their careers or their lives. Um, So it's hopefully will be filled with useful insights from people to who are no doubt going through their own transition. Thanks to the wonderful pandemic that we're experiencing. A lot of people have lost their jobs or their jobs are no longer relevant. Mm -hmm. They have to pivot So I'm hoping that by hearing stories of people who you once knew and how they are transitioning and have transitioned over the years will be helpful. Oh, certainly. Obvious question, John Roberts. That is going to be a very interesting one, won't it? If he'll do it, because he really doesn't acknowledge his time at much, very much. So I don't even know if he'll do it anymore. That's a shame. We're sort of, I feel like he's kind of blocked me from his life. <gasps> Are you kidding? That's awful. To a more professional life. Oh, that's not cool. I don't like that. Well, I... whatever floats his boat. Look, he's on Fox News, yeah. so whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He made I, his uh, choices. Wait, yeah. I grew up a, a hard rock and a metal kid. I used to watch the Power Hour all the time. And you know, it was funny. He put on that goofy leather jacket with the chains on the back and Thor came in and blew up like hot water bottles and stuff like that. So, you know, on one hand, I'm sure he looks back on that and goes, oh. But on the other hand, you, you can't ignore your roots like that. Of course not. He yeah. learned incredible skills. When we were on Much Music, it was live for four hours at a time. No script. Yeah. So the the skills that that we've all learned, mm-hmm. at least those of us in the early days, because I think that there were more there was more scripting and more coaching and you know more handhold handholding throughout the years. But in the early years, so let's say the first <laughs> ten years, yeah. there was none of it, mm-hmm. and it made us all very capable and strong and gave us incredible skills that prepared me at least to be an entrepreneur and it gave me that resilience. I think I already had it, but it gave me the opportunity to test out my resilience and to take on different kinds of opportunities while at much and to put myself out there with people taking pot shots at you on a daily basis. Mm. You have to you have to build up a really strong core mm-hmm. of self-esteem. Yeah. Which is what drives success, right? Absolutely. 
what better foundation could you have to thicken your skin than to be on live national television for four hours a day, really? It was sink or swim. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I don't swim very well. (laughs) We don't sink very well either. Mm -hmm. So um, that being said, I've got your songs here. Now, you have got six. I said sue me. Sue me. I'm picking six. (laughs) I wish it could have been 55, but obviously there are time constraints. But It's really hard because what I wanted to do when I picked those songs was to use them as a sort of jumping off point at a time of my life Mm -hmm. and um, why each song makes my skin tingle Mm -hmm. and each does for a different reason. Okay. So the first one, I'm just looking at them now and I'm thinking, yeah, okay, I'm going to try and figure this out before you tell me. But the first one is Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, Helpless from the Deja Vu record in 1970. Yeah. Now that has to be listened to on an eight track for it actually make your skin tingle, um, which is what I used to do in my parents' car driving from Montreal to the summer camp that they bought when I was five years old in the middle of nowhere, Ontario, a small (laughs) town called Arden, Ontario. Mm. And that's why there is a town in North Ontario. As we drove along Highway 7 for four hours to camp along a five-mile camp road nobody was at like we would go there and it was empty aside from me my family my uncle and some groovy grown-up teenager counselors who would hang out at camp Uh in the spring and fall and sometimes the winter yeah and uh, my uncle's musical taste informed me my parents were sort of hippies Mm-hmm. I mean, like what crazy family would buy a summer camp when they were 25 years old? Wow. And also what crazy parents would send their kids to the summer camp in the middle of nowhere uh, run by 25-year-olds? So that's <laughs> a whole other story. But music, eight tracks in the car, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young was one of the biggest ones. So I must have heard that about 2,000 times, the oh, whole album. yeah, yeah. Don't you think the concept of eight tracks was just so ridiculous? You know, there was this big thing to be able to have a stereo in your car, but then the programs always got in the way, right? Because I, I had eight tracks too when I was a kid. I'd like triumph progressions of power, but it would like stop and you'd hear this and then it would start over again in the middle of a song. I always thought that was so funny. Well, I, I, think, I think it was good because didn't it never stop? No, it... Meaning it just... It was like on a loop, right? It, it did. It continued. But like uh, what would happen would be there was four programs. And in between programs, it would actually oh, yeah, you'd click them, jump. And it would, there was this huge click, like right sometimes yeah. right in the middle of the song. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Yeah. But well, it was what it was. I mean, I didn't question it. It just was how we listened to music at the time. Oh, yeah. And um, it also formed my initial love of music. Mm-hmm. Um, because I would be stuck in the car for hours and it would speak to me. Mm-hmm. So when I listen to it now, my skin tingles because it reminds me of being a kid Yeah, with my parents. Music is so emblematic of your childhood in that way. I, um, mm-hmm. I listen to this on Sunday mornings a lot. Deja Vu, this whole record is fantastic. But yeah, it just takes you right back. And that's one of the, mm-hmm. the magic aspects of music for sure. Yeah. Yep. 
So next, Erica, is U2 and I Will Follow. Tell me about that. That was the band that made me fall in love Mm -hmm. with innovative music. So this this album came out while I was working at Shom FM, Mm -hmm. while I was DJing in bars. Okay. And I was friends with all the different bar owners. And I remember you two did their first gig in Montreal at the Club Montreal, Club Montreal. And because I DJed across the street at Broadway Live, where Madness played and mm. the Go-Go's played, etc., while I was DJing. So I used to hang out with all those guys. Wow. This band called U2 was going to play. Now, I was also DJing at a club called Blues. Okay. And it was my favorite song, I Will Follow. It was like I had a single and I had the, like, a, uh, I think it was a colored vinyl single of it. Mm-hmm. So when they were coming, I was freaking out. No one really knew who they were. <laughs> And so I went there in the afternoon when they did their sound check and I walked up to Bono at the time and I said, hi, my name's Erica. I love you so much. You know, and, <laughs> but it was kind of cooler than that. Yeah. <laughs> I was very new wave and punk. I had the best leather pants, ripped shirts. I was into Susie and the Banshees, Gang of Four. Oh, nice. I mean, I was, a, I was DJing in, in alternative clubs. Yeah. So he was really nice. Mm. And he, he said, you should go into PR because mm. I was saying, I also worked at ANA records at the time. Oh. And I said, I sell your record to everybody. I play it all the time when I DJ in the clubs. And he said, you should go into PR. And I was like, what is that? Mm. How old was I? I was probably 18 or 19. So I researched it and I ended up going to university mm-hmm. in Ottawa to study communications because of Bono. But while I met him, he also said to me, you should keep in touch with us. And I think the manager gave me his phone number or something. And um, they were playing in Ottawa that next night. So I called the manager and I said, can I come? And he goes, sure. So I drove to Ottawa the next day and ended up going backstage with the band. Mm -hmm. And they're just so polite. They're not pigs. (laughs) Like a lot of bands. They're just... And I was never a groupie. I just wanted to be around the magic. Yeah. So I was backstage with them and um, I stayed out really late. Okay. I drove back to Toronto and I slept in and I remember that I got fired from at my job at the record store. Oh, I was working at Sam's at that time. Okay. Sam the record man at the time in Montreal. And they fired me because I slept in. Oh. But I thought it was a, you know, a valiant way to lose one's job yeah. was to be spending time backstage with you two who no one had heard of at the time. Like they were playing at Barry Moore's at the time, small mm-hmm. little bar in Ottawa. And I since spent time with them in other places and um, their music made my heart sing because they had something to say. Mm-hmm. And I really have always been uncomfortable with the concept of being an asshole because of you're in rock and roll. Mm. Um, I hate drugs. I hate stupidity and moronic behavior. And I feel like a lot of bands joined bands so that they could be that. Yeah. And I felt like U2 was much more cerebral and kind. So they were my band. Wow. And it all started with I Will Follow. 
that must have been an exciting time to watch them because you know this is 81 i want to say and you know larry mullen looked like he was 12 at that time these guys had this fire i remember live right and they were god-fearing kind generous nice guys wow Gee, so and okay, I, I actually ended up um, spending the night with all of them, and my girlfriend and I, when we drove to uh, Toronto a few mm-hmm. years later, mm-hmm. drove my mom's car all the way to Toronto. I'd never been to Toronto. <laughs> we arrived there. We called them because we had their phone number, and they went, "Sure, here's wow. a couple of backstage passes. Come and watch the band." And after the show, they said, "Where are you guys staying?" And we were like, "Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh." We didn't even know that Toronto was so far because we, we came from Montreal. My girlfriend, Ava. Yeah. And um, they were like, we'll put you up. No problem. Wow. That's awesome. Honestly, the nicest guys. Wow. The nicest guys. And I drove them around in my mom's yellow Firebird. We were all at the Domino Club, <laughs> which I'd never been to. I was just, some Bono said when we were backstage, does anyone have a car? I was like, I do. Oh, Let's wow. go then. So they all got in my car because like I don't drink and and I don't party, so yeah. I'm safe to drive around. And we went to the Domino Club, and that's when they said, "Where are you girl? Where are you girls staying?" And it was like two o'clock in the morning. And we were like, "Uh, <laughs> we didn't even think about oh, yeah where we would sleep. It didn't even cross our minds." That is crazy. Now, nicest guys. You you likely spoke to Bono through much music years after this i'm imagining never oh ever would they let me interview him why because they thought that i would get all gush which uh, i wouldn't have but i, I anyway i would think that damn you, those much music people well seriously they, i i would think that your relationship with him previous would add a, an interesting dimension to the interview wouldn't yeah. it? i never ever got to interview them at much that but sucks. people always think i have because i talked about them all the time mm-hmm that's terrible. I would have loved to watch that. Yeah. I would complain to John Martin, but he died. Oh. So I can't. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> one thing, you know, I was thinking about the song and um, Chalk Circle. You know, a lot of bands came after you two. And you can hear I Will Follow in bands like Chalk Circle. 100%. Right? And a lot of those Canadian those bands guys. came after. Yeah. Chris Tate. I'm still in touch with Brad. Oh, oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good. I, I'm in touch with some of the people who were in bands from the 80s. And mm-hmm. Brad's daughter went to the same school as my daughter. You know, oh, we grew wow. up. How mm-hmm. funny is that, eh? Wow. Yeah, that's cool. Chris was on the show about six months ago. He's such a great guy. I was, I was so and talented. Oh, so talented. Yeah. yeah. Super talented. Uh, Erica, Emmy Lou Harris is next with Ballad of a Runaway Horse from 93. I love that song so much. Mm. I didn't know that Leonard Cohen wrote it until yesterday. Can you believe it? Mm. Or I forgot. So that CD was on repeat in my life for about two years. Mm. Russell DeCarl from Prairie Oyster took me to his friends to like a country house, a farmhouse Mm -hmm. to celebrate my birthday because he knew that I liked being in the country. So we went to this country house and it kind of changed my life. I decided that I had to be in the country. And I started 
I just, my whole interest, my music, everything changed. Wow. And I just wanted to listen to not really country music, but roots, alternative roots music. Hmm. And all the music that I wrote mm-hmm. was like that. Russell sang on one of the albums. Uh, he did a duet with Cassandra mm-hmm. called Fortune Smiled at Me that was inspired by Emmy Lou Harris using those words when she received an award. Oh. She was on stage and she said, just want to thank you. Fortune really smiled down on me. And I was like, boom, song. Wow. Yeah. So that song with Cassandra and Russell, it was the best duet of the year, country music. But I always wanted to be a cowgirl and live in the country. And all the music that I listened to and even the books that I read mm-hmm. were about the beauty of, you know, of cowboys galloping through the through the mountains. Mm-hmm. I actually went and lived with some cowboys for four nights oh. in Calgary with a girlfriend of mine. Like honestly, I wanted to be it. Wow. And that album by Amy Lou Harris, Wrecking Ball, mm-hmm. was produced by Danny Lanois. Oh, I didn't so know that. So it's this interesting connection between you two, which is Danny Lanois' beautiful production yeah. combined with sort of acoustic roots music to me made my skin vibrate. Yeah. Plus the beautiful writing from Leonard Cohen. Yeah. It's one of my favorite songs. Yeah. Wow. What an interesting pivot, right? From being a new mm-hmm. waver and a punk rocker and really discovering this in the early 90s. This is 93. Yeah. Wow. 5440, I Go Blind, is next. That speaks to my time at Much Music and how much I loved the circles that I was traveling in. I became friends with the guys in 5440. I guess they would be, in a way, the Canadian version of U2. Mm -hmm. They were a band with a brain. They were a band with strong beliefs. Mm -hmm. They were really nice. And I love their music. So my girlfriend Jackie and I became their groupies. We would go to all their shows, hang out with them all the time. When I say groupies, that is not to uh, suggest that we would fool around with them. Yeah. But rather, we were all friends. We yeah. were part of a sort of a friend group. Yeah. That included uh, Pursuit of Happiness as well. Oh, uh, Moberg. Um, and some Honeymoon Suite. Cool. Just, I mean, I was friends with all the bands. Yeah. And uh, but in particular, 5440, I have a real soft spot for them. And uh, I actually saw them play live last summer uh, when bands played live yeah. <laughs> um, at the Kitabala in Muskoka. We drove all the way up to nice. see them. And it was really nice to spend time with them and, you know, hang out and reconnect and meet, you know, Neil's daughter, who's a full on talented adult, et cetera. <laughs> wow crazy because our kids show our kids are really a reflection of time passing and that night my son and his buddy picked us up staying at their at a friend's cottage because the parents were drinking and so the kids picked up the adults and i thought that was just perfect yeah prescient that's so funny i i actually saw them in january in oshawa 5440 they played the musical so good right fantastic yeah yeah Great. Uh, 
Okay, Cassandra Vasek is next. Which face should I put on tonight? Now, you wrote and produced this. Yeah, this is from one of the albums that One Juno's. Mm-hmm. This song, I'm, I chose this song specifically because the album, although it won Juno Awards, really has had modest success in terms of people knowing about it and people hearing it because it's kind of a an odd style of music. It's roots music. There's not a lot of radio that would play that kind of music. Mm-hmm. And when the album came out, there was no YouTube or, you know, sort of uh, democratized media at the time. It was still all mainstream media. So it's hard for people to discover it. It was yeah. played on country music, but this song would be more alternative. Lyrically, this song I think is so relevant today. I have a 16 year old daughter and our obsession with superficiality with Instagram and face tuning mm-hmm. and facades, I think really it sort of is reflected in the lyrics. Yep. For me, the song was about people assuming they knew me because they watched me on TV, ah, which was just one small part of me. You didn't know who I was or what books I read or how I felt inside. Mm-hmm. So I built up a facade. And um, although I was very authentic, I always talked about what was true. I didn't talk about my private life, mm-hmm. which was big. And I felt that this, I still feel that this song really reflects a time in my life. But I still think that it it is very relevant today for where we are, where we find ourselves in the Kardashian world and people obsessed with Instagram. And I'm hoping that one day someone like the Dixie Chicks would cover it. It might happen. 30 years later, too. Great points about Instagram and YouTube and Duckface and all that nonsense. It's so silly. Jan Arden is next with Good Mother. Well, I thought this was the, the best song to end on because motherhood changed my life. Um, not just because it really makes you get real mm-hmm. and your ego is long gone, but motherhood also became my business. Mm-hmm. And uh, I launched a website when my daughter, Jesse, well, a TV show first called Yummy Mummy on Life Network and Discovery Health, which is actually still available on Amazon Prime. I, I just that, found yeah. it there. Yeah. For 99 cents, you can watch an episode. Wow. But I turned that little TV show into a little tiny website and grew it into the largest independently owned property for parents in Canada. And from there, launched a digital marketing agency with a laser focus on moms, which is my what I do, you know, for my day job, I guess you would say. <laughs> and mothers became the community that I always wanted. I never really fit into the music business because I'm too earnest. Mm. And I don't like to party. I just like to be nice and be real. Mm-hmm. Music business isn't like that, which is why I left much music. It became trite mm-hmm. to me after a while and superficial. So my community of moms that I built became life-saving for me and obviously for thousands of moms around the country. And it became the the basis, the platform upon which I, I've built a, a very successful marketing agency, which I made up. I taught myself and I invented all new ways for brands to connect with moms. Back to the song, Jan Arden. I love Jan Arden as a person. I think she is remarkable. 
I remember when Alan Reed gave me her cassette mm. before it was even released. I remember being in the kitchen listening to it. I was living with um, Kim Stockwood okay. at the time. And Alan was sort of trying to create some, you know, early pre-buzz yeah. for for Jan. And he gave me that CD and it was just an incredible album. This song wasn't on it. And um, Jan always writes from her heart. She is so authentic. Mm. She really is the antithesis of most rock stars. Yeah. And my, I lost my mom last year. Oh, sorry. And my mom was my best friend. Mm. So the song means a lot. I'm sure it does, yeah. Thanks for sharing that. It, it's a great song. And Jan Arden just has a, a fantastic voice, too, doesn't she? She just sings with her soul. Yeah. Yeah. And she's not afraid to be vulnerable and to be cheesy and yeah. down to earth and wacky and not be perfect. Yeah. And I really, I really relate to her. And, um, like, in fact, I adore her. I think she's spectacular in every way. She is very much real deal. You can, yeah. you can, you can see that, you know, yeah. through her social media and everything else. Yeah. I, I made my daughter go to Mariposa, mm. my little, my, well, my kids. Okay. And I, they were, you know, she, and Jan Arden was the last performer that night mm. and my kids were asleep and I woke up, Jesse, 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 my son, Josh, <laughs> get up, get up, get up. Yeah. This is the song. And she started playing it and I started weeping oh. and my kids looked at me like, my mother is crazy. Oh. I was like, don't you get it? So, <laughs> well, you know, you know what? They will, they will when they get older. I think we have a way of, you know, when we get older, we become more wise and more dialed in in a different way to music. You know, when when you're young, you're dialed into to music for certain reasons. But my appreciation, my breadth of appreciation, is so much more vast now as an older person. The music that a I used to listen to, but b new music too, it just changes. So right now, as I sit on my boathouse, mm -hmm. my phone is messing with my ear mm -hmm. and your soothing voice <laughs> is drifting away. So if you can speak a little louder over the geese that are flying over my head, oh. that would be really great. No, I just said when we're kids, we're dialed into music for different reasons. But for me, as when I got older, my breadth of appreciation for music just became so much more vast in terms of the message and yeah. what, what the music offers, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Although I really did resonate with, I think I love you from David Cassidy. Oh, that, yeah. that, you know, that spoke to me. Partridge family that message. David Cassidy was just compelling strangely for boys and girls. I was fascinated with that guy for some reason. I wanted to grow my hair like him. I wanted to, I wanted to be David Cassidy. I, that was my first concert that my dad took me to, mm -hmm. and it says everything about me. I knew every word in every song, <laughs> and he came out wearing sort of an Elvis Presley-style white, sparkling, glittering jumpsuit, jumpsuit <laughs> and started singing, and the girls started screaming, Yeah, and they didn't stop. And I started crying, and I said, Daddy, take me home. Oh, I can't no. hear him sing. <laughs> uh, Ernest, even at 12. Oh, that is funny. <laughs>
Listen, um, this has been a treat for me. I appreciate your openness and transparency. I can't thank you enough for this, Erica. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Well, you're such a good interviewer because you actually are genuinely interested in the conversation Mm, and add to it. So thank you for having me. Please. That's a compliment for me because, as I said, I grew up watching you interview all of my favorite musicians. So this is a big day for me. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Erica. And uh, you're welcome to come back with six more songs next time. How about that? (laughs) Sounds good. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, this has been No Sleep Till Sudbury with Brent Jensen and my very, very special guest, Erica M. Till next time, folks. Take good care. Brent Jensen is the best-selling author of No Sleep Till Sudbury, Leftover People, and All My Favorite People Are Broken. All titles available in stores and on Amazon Worldwide. <laughs>